What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of Action Movie Anatomy here on the Popcorn Talk Network. And you have been waiting for this movie for over a hundred episodes. We've heard your cries. We're here to talk about it. It's the greatest Formula One film ever made. We're talking Rush. We'll see you guys in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! This song is so appropriate for the film. Yes. This should be always playing when they're racing. All right. Start your engines. Ha-ha. Guess who's back? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. We're here. We're back. It's Wednesday. Holy moly. Holy moly. Just a just a busy day. Oh, my God. Just a busy month, man. I feel like you and yeah. I have just been, like, fighting <laughs> to stay above water, but in yeah. a good way. Yep. You know, it's like, it's very good to be this busy, but my God, are we busy? This is, uh, we're late today. That's totally my fault, um, but I'm really excited to be here. It's not often that we cover a movie on the show that you and I are both, like, not that familiar with. No, 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 definitely not. It's funny, this <laughs> this morning, um, I had to watch the movie this morning at 6, oh, because wow. that was when I had I got a text from you very early. To watch it. Yeah. And so I watched it and prepped, and I had a screening I had to attend it right after before this. Mm-hmm. So I walked out, and uh, and the person I was with was like, are you are you excited for the rest of your day? Because it's a very full day. I was like, well, the first seven hours are done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right? It's just past noon. Yeah. Uh, the day feels like a lot less daunting now. So let's go talk about Rush on yeah, the show. for sure. And like, dude, what an amazing, amazing movie. And it's, yeah. it's, I, I mean, it's it's so weird because I didn't really know what to expect. And like, I kept saying this was in the top 250, and but I'd never really heard much about it from anyone. Well, do you remember the conversation that you and I had like, Years ago, before yeah, the and show. it was like this was an example, we wasn't were, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was literally like three movies. I think it was three movies, and the three movies that I pulled from the top two fifty that I told you were like didn't deserve Prisoners, Rush, yeah. and Warrior. Which is funny because oh, it was before you'd seen Warrior. No, I had seen it, and I oh, loved you, it. Right, right, right. But I was unwilling at that point to accept that I liked it as much as I did because I was like, this is just a silly MMA movie that I happen to like a lot. It's not one of the two hundred fifty best movies since then. Watch Prisoners. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Oh, yeah. Watch Rush. Loved it. And Warrior's one of my five favorite films ever made now. Yeah, and you and I are going to have a discussion when we get into um, Critical that I'm, I'm just springing upon you now, and it's about the top 250. Yeah. Because, like, I know you and I don't really agree on the top 250 a lot, but one thing we do agree on is most movies that are in the top 250 kind of deserve some sort of recognition. This is one of those movies where... I think it's great, and I think it, it deserves the ratings it has, but is it one of the 250 greatest movies of all time? When so, Andrew says the top 250, I mean, a lot of you who listen or watch know what we're talking about, but IMDb has a top 250 movies the right. list that you can find, and it's based on aggregate ratings, and so you make it into the top 250 if your overall ranking uh, based on the aggregate is high enough, and we have long since disagreed, since talking since starting the show, yeah. that that is a, an adequate reason to call a movie great, because ultimately, A, it's very difficult to qualify what are the 250 best movies. Yes. It doesn't say... American movies on that list, but it largely favors American movies. Yep. And lastly, uh, really, you're, de- you're dealing with a recency bias with a lot of younger people ranking the movies. So some movies, for instance, that like, let's just say like The Godfather, for instance, will kind right. of never drop off because like everybody acknowledges that it's one of the greatest. And everybody's voted on that, whereas like people that all go out and vote for Blade Runner 2049 and it bumps up to like 90th on the list... There's people that will never watch that movie that, you know, or like people yeah. that will yeah. not go back and review it. So anyway, that that's neither here nor there. We'll get into that conversation Let's later. Let's talk Rush. But first, 
Richard Eric Jarvie. Richard Eric Jarvie. Richard Eric Jarvie. Richard Eric Jarvie. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> thank you. Everyone thank Richard. Find him on Twitter. Find him on the Facebook fan group. He has been begging for us to do this movie for a very long time. I, truthfully, I've now watched this movie twice because of you, Richard. Because I, the first time I watched it on a, on, a, on a trip that I was on, on an airplane, and I liked it. And then I watched it again for the show because I always like to refresh. And I loved it. So let's get everything out of the way so we can get straight into the movie. Yeah, uh, that's First it. and foremost, guys, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. You can find the Twitter at AMA Podcast. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy. And you can find our Facebook groups. We have the Action Army fan page. And we have the Action Movie Anatomy fan page. Join both. Yeah. Just do it. They're both awesome. Have you noticed the crazy phenomenon that happened with the numbers on Action Movie Anatomy fan page? What? what I happened? don't understand it. So... We had this crazy rate of growth on that page. Like yeah. it was, and for a while, it was like we were getting like twenty to thirty people a week, every single week, right? Right. And we took a week off from the show because we were both super busy. And the day we announced we were taking a week off from the show, we have not gotten one new member in that group since. Are you serious? Not a single member. Not one. Not one member in the last two weeks. It like it, I don't know on the action movie anatomy fan page. It dropped off a cliff. I that was is unbelievable. Mind blowing. I like don't even know how it's possible. We crossed a thousand and it Okay, so guys. How crazy is that? Yeah. I, am I imagining things? I don't know. I like looked the other day and I was like, that's an eerily similar number. And it's the exact number. This is what you happen when <laughs> what happens when we take a week off. Yeah, exactly. We should never do it again. So guys, those are all the places you can follow along. You can be in the live chat, you can tweet at us, you can let us know your thoughts. We're gonna get into the show. And before we show this trailer here, we're gonna tease what we're doing on the show today, yeah. get over some rules. So we cover action movies on the show. And we understand Rush is a sports movie. That's a conversation we'll be having later in the show. Rule number one, the heroes in these films always play by their own rules. Um, I would say we're not really sure who the hero is, but they both play by their own rules. Absolutely, which means that hero number two works perfectly because the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. And we don't know which one's which, but they're both clearly the smartest drivers. Absolutely. Rule number three, the movie is driven by police, military, or political figure, or Ooh. mercenary. Or now, he works for the man... No, they're all no. just—they're just—they're just racers. They're just racers. Yeah. Yep. And rule number four: the movie contains minimum one explosion. Definitely. So this really—this movie actually hits most of the rules. And it's like it almost feels like the rule number three. If when we get to that discussion, if sports movies are action movies, we have to add an athlete. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like... Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point, you know? So today on the show, guys, we are going to do thesis statement, fist pump, favorite line, all your favorite segments. We're also going to have a conversation about our sports movies, action movies, and we're going to talk about the theory that every single year has an unofficial crown of the best Oscar film to receive no Oscar nominations. Right. And we're going to dissect what that means later in the show. So without further ado, let's get into the trailer for Rush and get on with the show. Is this good? It's a good trailer? I don't know. I didn't watch it. I like that we don't watch them anymore. Yeah. Makes it more fun, right? Why would they drive fast? This is the chance of risk. Not getting paid. I am quicker than all of you. To death, the more alive you feel. I have an incredible ass. Good James, aren't you? Yes. Who's that? It's Nicky Lauda. He's just been signed by Ferrari. This is a nobody. Look at the way he's driving like an old man. Right now, with zero incentive, why would I drive fast? Why would I drive because fast? Right now, with zero incentive. That's what we get. This is an incredible battle between these two great drivers. Next time, I'll have you. No chance. You're just a party guy. That's why everybody likes you. Yes, I know, I'm terrible. No, you're not terrible. You're just who you are at this point in your life. To be a champion, it's a it takes man, more actually. than just being quick. Yeah. You have to really believe it. I've been waiting for this my whole life. 
can beat this guy, trust me. He's consistent, dependable. Will he put his life on the line the day that really matters? Welcome to the racing grudge match of the decade. It does look kind of sweet in the trailer. Oh, it looks sick. Yeah. World champion Nicky Lauda trapped in a searing inferno of 800 plus degrees. I don't need that in the trailer, though. No. Because they're going to show him come back right now. Yeah, Talk to me, James. That. Don't go to men who are willing to kill themselves driving in circles looking for normality. And what did your wife say when she saw your face? She said, don't need a face to drive. You just need the right foot. I feel responsible for what happened. Watching you win those races while I was fighting for my life, you were equally responsible for getting me back in the car. Yeah. 42 days after his near-fatal accident, Nicky Lauda will race here today. More powerful than the fear of death. This just isn't a sport that like people the follow. Like, win. Yeah, it's tough because it's like the most badass racing sport in the world yeah. by a mile. What's the difference in speed between like a Formula One car and like a Na- like NASCAR? Uh, well. I I don't want to speak out of turn, yeah, uh, because I don't know. But I'm yeah. pretty sure like NASCAR doesn't it get like close to 200 or like around 200, maybe yeah. And like a... Formula One is like like 40 or 50 miles above that, but you're not in a car. That's right. the thing is you're like in this this like craft that is not closed in at all. Yeah, you're going so fast it weighs less than like this desk. Right. And like they're if, super light, and if you get in a wreck, you're dead essentially. Right, like almost always. We should also do the whole rest of the show in, talking in like Nikki's voice, Nikki Loda. Um, <laughs> you're like Russian louder there just for a second. Well, it's weird because he Cause, kind of like yeah, it's, he's, he's like Austrian, yeah. so it's not like straight German. Anyway, yeah. um, anyway, guys, that yeah, was the trailer F1 for Rush. One is uh, 300, 300 miles. miles. God, it's crazy. Could you so, imagine that? Pretty sweet trailer, I gotta say. I liked it quite a bit. Let's get into the first segment of the show, guys. This is called thesis statement. So this is your bold, your bold statement that your biggest thought about the film when the film comes up in a conversation. This is the thought that you want to defend kind of all throughout and really keep forefront. Uh, and so I thought a lot about this one. I, I tried to figure out what what are my biggest takeaways from this movie. Uh, the biggest takeaway is that this movie's really good. It got totally missed by most <laughs> my people. My thesis is this movie's really good. <laughs> <laughs> got missed by most people. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out why. There was a lot of conversations people were asking. This is kind of one of those underrated classics, right? Why didn't people pay attention? And not an underrated classic like we talked about Road to Perdition. Because Road to Perdition got five Oscar nominations. Totally. So, like, that movie was clearly acknowledged by the Academy. This movie got zero Oscar nominations. Like, it is a fully 100% forgotten movie mm-hmm. by most people. That was a great question at the uh, at the uh, Schmodown live panel yeah. when we were doing the quiz. Is uh, Tom Hanks category. Yeah. Name this, name this drama or whatever with Tom Hanks and uh, Daniel Craig. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a hard one to get for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my thesis statement about this film is that this film's failure to track had everything to do with it being made by the wrong director. And Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. See, I thought about this, and a film about Formula One racers, like about Formula One drivers, especially two guys, James Hunt and Nicky Lada. Yeah. Now, I'm only 29 years old, and this movie came out in 2013, so I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in my life, I had never heard of James Hunt and Nicky Lauda. I have never cared Absolutely. about Formula One. I've never cared about NASCAR. They're not sports. That Formula One is not a sport right now where it's on television all the time in a way that I You feel, have to seek it out. Yeah, I, don't, I can't learn about the history by watching ESPN because they're always showing baseball and they're going to talk about the history of baseball. You have to seek it out. Yeah. So I think the problem is Ron Howard chose to make a movie about effectively what is a sports subculture. 
and it's even built in the trailer, the guy that made Apollo 13 and Beautiful Mind, people are thinking to themselves, I want to watch an inspiring story with a subject that I care about, that I know about. Yeah. And he he chose to make an obscure piece of history notable. So his last hit before this movie was Frost Nixon. It's 2008. That's a movie about Richard Nixon. Yeah. Like people, everybody knows about Richard Nixon. Like you can't not know the name Richard Nixon. So you know exactly what you're getting into. You're going to get into something that's like kind of inspiring, a little heavy handed, probably good. You're not really sure how good, but it's about Formula One and it's called Rush. And you don't really know the actors. You kind of know one of them because he's Thor. And that's as much as we got. And I think when you watch that trailer, it's just like, I don't really want to watch a NASCAR movie directed by Ron Howard. I just, even though it turned out to be good, I don't think in people's minds that's the guy they want to see this. Like, because in their mind, he what would he know about NASCAR? If you're, or sorry, about Formula One. If you're a right. Formula One fanatic, you want to feel like it's being made by somebody who fully you understands like someone Formula who One. was not born in the states. Something like that. Yeah, you're just like this is just an Oscar guy who's trying to make an Oscar movie about this thing that's incredibly near and dear to my heart, so it didn't track. It's the same reason that Warrior didn't track. Yeah, and that's actually really funny. <laughs> someone's talking about that as a loose thesis that this is just a Warrior of racing movies. Because at that point, Gavin had made Miracle. People were like, "Oh, it's the guy yeah. that made Miracle is making a movie about MMA." Tom Hardy had shown up in things. Edgerton was basically non-existent other than being an Animal Kingdom, which was an Australian release. So, so it was the same basic thing. People Even- were like, "I'm not going to go see this guy that made Miracle with Kurt Russell about the most inspirational sports story ever with this uplifting speech." About Formula One, because I just don't think it's going to be good. Yeah. It's so interesting, though. So, like, don't you don't think that, or you don't believe that Ron Howard actually brought more people to it. Because it's like, when you say a Ron Howard film, it immediately gives it this level of credibility. Uh, like, okay, so do I think that you could take another director who was smaller than Ron Howard to make this movie, and it would have necessarily put more butts in seats? No. No, okay, but you're saying... But the reason that this movie came out got decent to good reviews... But right. then people didn't want to go back and revisit it in, during award season was because they were just like, it's just boring. It's just a boring topic. I don't care. Like, for instance, take Bridge of Spies. Mm-hmm. It's like the reason we didn't watch Bridge of Spies when it came out was because it was Spielberg directing Hanks with a subject matter that was just like, eh. And it's like, for fuck's sake, Ron Howard directed all of the Da Vinci Code movies surrounding this movie. That's like yeah. the other movies he was making. So it's just in people's minds. He's just this boring director. Yeah, it's so tough, man. It it really is. It's really tough to make a movie about things that we just don't really, as a society, care about. And this is Americans a very niche subject. So I I believe this movie suffered to gain traction, most notably because it was made by the wrong director. Even MMA, even Warrior came out just a little too early. It yeah. did come out a year later. Honestly, just one year later would have made it track more because yeah. MMA was getting such such a bigger... Uh, pull. So I have a few as well, and one of mine is something along the lines of like making biopics and how like they can only be a certain level of entertainment because yeah. you have to stick to a certain level of honesty. Like we we experience that a lot with Dunkirk, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's not as fun as this other one. My other one is that this movie is the most real depiction of the MacGruber effect. <laughs> you might ask what the MacGruber effect is, and if you haven't seen MacGruber, there's this great part when he's sitting there telling Ryan Philippe the story, the back history of him and his lover and his wife and Dieter von Kunth. And throughout the story, you realize that MacGruber came and stole Kunth's, girl, Kunth's girlfriend, <laughs> got her pregnant, and like basically abandoned his friendship yeah. and like ruined his life. Right. <laughs> But, I love the shot of him playing the guitar. Yeah, yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're like, wow, MacGruber's actually the bad guy of this movie. <laughs> like, that's one of my favorite moments. Um, but last night I was watching it. It's after, it's after Lauda goes through this whole, his recovery process. And yeah. He goes out there for this first day of racing and he right. gets that fourth place, which is like such a great moment. Yeah. But I realized in that moment, I was like, 
I want Nikki Lauda to be the champion at the end of this movie. Yeah, right. I do not want James Hunt slash Chris Hemsworth to win. Douchebag. I, I just don't. Yeah, he's the bad guy. Um, so, yeah, that's my thesis. The other one is that Chris, Chris Hemsworth finally won me over. You're a fan. I'm finally on board. You like his pectoral muscles? I do. Uh <laughs> I just I loved Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And I think he's really good in this. And I think I like he plays a very real person. And the problem is is that Hemsworth is a good actor. He just doesn't yeah. get the chance to be one that often. Yeah. And like you look at the beginning of Star Wars Trek. Yeah, he's great. Incredible. And yeah. like this movie, he's he's fantastic. It's tough because Daniel Bruhl completely steals the show. Yeah, I agree. Um but yeah, that's my thesis is like I didn't realize who I was rooting for till like the end of the movie and I realized I was rooting for the wrong person yeah. the whole time. And the person I was rooting for was the bad guy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting you talk about like how you make these movies and, and what the twist is to make it interesting because you know, watching it this time for me, I had a I had a moment where I was like the second time I watched it, I was like, This movie is this movie's way above average. I would call this movie borderline great. Um it's not a special movie, I guess. Even that feels like it's doing it a disservice. It, yeah. Like, there's some element that this movie doesn't have that makes it, like, a classic to me. And I was trying to figure out what that is, and I do think that there's a, a trap as a filmmaker you fall into when you're making what effectively is a biopic. Yeah. Because the storytelling has to be so linear. Now, you can mix it up, and you can try to do crazy stuff and, and change the time around and make it a little more artistic, but to really tell these stories the way that you want to tell them, it's like the same way that he told Cinderella Man. It's like... This is these are characters. They're in the situation. Right. This is where they start. This is the middle. This is the conflict. This is the end. And you kind of know how it's going to go every time. Like it's I wouldn't have known watching this the first time how the story ended. Right. But you know how you're going to feel at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, that's just what you do with these movies. They're all made the exact same way. And so I think that's one of the issues is that you walk away from it being like that. What a great rendition of that formula this was. Right. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting. So so people were Arena was in here talking about how she kind of disagrees with my thesis and that like he's not the bad guy. It's just like they're two rivals. Yeah. But to counter that, what I want to say is that it's you always pick a side in a movie. Yeah. That's like the, the the brilliance of storytelling and like the way that movies work so well. It's like even in Warrior, you watch it and you and I have had this conversation many times. Yeah. It's like if anyone could win, who would win? Yeah, right. And we're like we both say Brendan should win. Yeah, for even sure. Even though we love Tommy. Of course. But Brennan has to win. Yeah. And in this movie, it was one of those things where I felt, I just felt that. So I totally get had your point. To win. I just yeah. felt he had to, and he didn't, but it was it was great. I feel you. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next part of the show, guys. Let's get into fist pump moment. This yes. is that moment you're watching the movie. Something happens. You look around. You're just like, are you seeing this right now? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I get to watch the rest of this movie. I'm so you're, stoked. You're, you're, the person next to you is watching the movie. You're like, do you see that? Hey, yeah. wait, did you see that? Did you see that? Like, I'm watching the movie. Like, yeah, but you, you're not freaking out. If you're in the theater, you kind of, you do one of these and you look over to like see if they're, you just, Anyone else? Are, are they disheveled? Are they, are they having a reaction in some way? You just want them to be having a reaction. Um, so that's what fist pump moment is. And there's a bunch in this movie because it's a racing movie because mm -hmm. it's a sports movie. And sports movies, they, they tend to have a lot of sweet fist pump moments. Yeah. Um, people shared a lot of them this week on Facebook. Uh, people love the fuck it line. It's one of their favorites. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, man, it, there was a lot in this one for me. You and I talked on the phone about one that we, we shared earlier yeah. Um, I think for me, probably, and I know this is a little bit of a cop-out fist pump moment, but because I'll let you use the one we talked about, I just love when he wins at the end, when he finds out that he's gotten third place, not fifth place. Yeah, He's like, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. Yeah, he, he's great in that moment. Yeah. He truly is. Like he, you, It's the first time you kind of see that he's just like given everything and he still couldn't get there. Yeah, right. Yeah, I loved that moment. I also do love the, the, the when they drill, the, you know, the... So that's it, huh? Fuck it. And yeah, he goes, yeah. That's a really good that's moment. A great. Too. That's a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. Um, the one that we talked about in the car earlier was when uh, his 
to-be wife's car breaks down, which yeah. I also love when, when he gets in it and he's like, you know, it's a little off here. That's why it pulls this way. That's why it's yeah. wobbling so much. There's not enough air in this tire. Yeah. She's like, I just got it inspected. I'm yeah. very expensive inspection. Yeah. Next thing you see, it's broken down. But what it is is when she sits there and... You know, she's talking about how he drives like an old man, and he's he's like he's not sexy, and his yeah, yeah. shirt's buttoned up to here, and blah blah blah. And he's like, "Why would I drive fast?" He's like, "Yeah, you know." And why would like, I drive fast? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Who never are more, you? Never more than twenty percent risk. <laughs> it's not it. <laughs> yeah, it's just what he sounds like. Risk, and uh, and and then he's, she says something. He goes, "Do you always get what you want?" But he says it in German, yeah. and she goes, "Usually," and then like, I don't know why, but I think it's the idea of the fact that like. That dude in any car yeah. could make it seem insane. Yeah, right. You know, and like the second he does it, it's like, I don't know what it would be like to be in a car with a person that drives like that. Yeah. But it would be incredible. Yeah. And like yeah. all the G's and all that. So that moment, I was just like, yes. Well, my moment is literally the line in that mo- in that scene. That's the one that I wanted to share is that he says to her, why, you know, why would I drive fast? And she looks at him and she says, because I'm asking because you Because I'm asking you that's my That was my, yeah. like, that's my first like, yes moment. Because you're like, you're like, all right. This girl's out of your league. She's like really hot. Yep. <laughs> You've acknowledged to us already, or you're about to acknowledge that you look like a rat. And <laughs> yeah, she's like this like rich German yeah. socialite or whatever. And like you're just like you're, you're kind of like why would I? And then and then it's like when she says it, you're like he's like human like the rest of us. Like he's wants to impress this girl. Yeah. And like yeah, I yeah. Love, I love that moment. Me too. Because you can't you you don't really get a read on Lauda. For, for the first part of the movie yeah and then that's the moment where you're like you're just a dude you're right. just another guy out there that like he meets this girl and then yeah the, the whole the evolution of their story is pretty great like the yeah. way it's told and all that um there is an issue with this movie objectifying women in a big way because most of the women and their scenes and everything about them is they're basically used as like like ornaments for these these guys journey but unfortunately it's i think it's the time period and it's also the story they're trying to tell well i mean like I'm not going to speak in, in, like, complete generalities, but for the most part, like, there's a thing about athletes and their wives and, like, right. the relationships right. of athletes and their wives and, like, what happens on the road and all that. And it's um, – what's so interesting about what you're talking about is how it, it does – you say it objectifies women, which it does a lot, but it also kind of empowers women in the sense of, like – Olivia Wilde tells Hemsworth to go fuck himself. Yeah, right. And, like, the lines that she uses are incredibly powerful. And in that moment, he's just a shitty dude. Yeah, like, right. Like, the things that he says, like, oh, honey, I bet some – ad needs your face somewhere like yeah go right and, like basically fuck off yep you know and then she says she says a lot of great lines i'm actually gonna save them um but one of my favorites is is like i wish you were just half as pretty on the inside as you were on the outside right or as impressive yeah that's and a good it's line. just like damn you know so like as much as i completely agree with you that they are objectified the two most powerful women in this movie yeah they change everything about it you know what I mean? Like they change everything about Nicky Lauda. He, his whole he basically gives up on racing that you know that year his championship. Yep. And um, Hemsworth just realizes he's kind of a piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah. I, I you're right, and and it's it's much more on Hemsworth's side than it is on Brule's side for sure. And that's supposed to speak to his character, I think. But uh, it definitely, you and I both acknowledge that we feel Olivia Wilde's character in this movie and and most of her scenes are like pretty irrelevant like it definitely tells part of hunt's story that you wouldn't get otherwise so you i guess you need something like that but it's it's the biggest part of the movie that feels like it's wasting time for sure when i was watching it too i was kind of like this is like you could have just told the same story with just being like he got married and he got divorced and like that type of thing yes you know yes exactly exactly so 
Let's uh, let's continue through the show here, guys. We're gonna get into the next part of the show. We're gonna talk about star profiles right now, a little bit where these guys' careers were when this film was made. So we'll start out with uh, Hemsworth. Um, so so Hemsworth br- like burst onto the scene with Star Trek. That's what most people in '09, right? Yeah, there's there was really two pieces to his his come up. The first one is Cabin in the Woods. Um, Cabin in the Woods was filmed two years before it came out, and he was discovered by Joss Whedon. And Whedon suggested that they put him into Star Trek. Mm. Um, I believe it's Star Trek. Yeah, I think he suggested for Star Trek. And so they made Star Trek. He has that that scene in the beginning, and then he was Thor. That's like literally the career. It's not. This isn't a guy that was slaving away in Australia. Yeah, and he he's. Him and his brother kind of... Yeah, I mean, he just, like, he's one of those guys. I mean, obviously, he's ridiculously handsome and, like, crazy jacked. So you look at old pictures of Hemsworth, and he's, like, just pretty clearly a model who, like, could have just done that. Right. But he was in 2014. He was the sexiest man alive. Yeah, I mean, he's just that guy. Look at the picture we're showing. He's a a handsome dude. God damn it. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's pretty much him. And so then, so Snow White and the Huntsman is 2012. At that point, he was already, you know, well-established. He had already been Thor. Red Dawn, the remake in 2012, which was awful. I think he plays the Swayze character, which is funny, because he could never be Swayze. And then lastly... (laughs) uh, nowhere near Swayze's hair. Star Trek Into Darkness in 2013, uh, which I never saw, but he must have a quick flashback. Yeah, it's a quick cameo for the most part. Then you go to the other side, you look at Daniel Brühl, who I recognize him most from Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. But... What he most recently did was two days in New York in 2012, winning streak in 2012, and seven days in Havana in 2012 with Josh Hutcherson. I believe two days in New York. Um, no, I don't know any of those movies. I don't. I had to like look. Yeah, that's the thing about this guy is he's you know he's a German actor. He's Austrian and he's um, he's got he's had much success overseas and he's kind of still coming out here. It's so interesting because 2013 was four years ago and that's when he had his first, like, moment, like, his big moment in American right. cinema. And, like, Inglorious Bastards was, uh, what, like, a, the year before that? Oh, nine. Oh, yeah, four years. Yeah, yeah, oh, nine. So it was the same time that Hemsworth got Thor, I mean, was in Star Trek. It's, you see exactly, like, Brule is one of those dudes, it's like, he's kind of like a JK or something like that, where, yeah, like, he's yeah. going to be an incredible gonna... character actor for right. a really long time. He will win an Oscar one day, probably. As long so. as he's... It's good enough. I think if he sticks around, I think that if he, like, continues to work, I think so, because, like... You know, Nicky Lauda, when he said he watched this, um, which I also think is another testament to how well Brule did, is at the end of the movie when, when Nicky Lauda's talking, it's actually Nicky Lauda. Yeah. Like, doing the uh, the monologue at the end, the voiceover. It's not Daniel Brule anymore, and you can hardly tell. And then when Lauda was watching the movie, like, this is obviously, um, obviously speaks to the makeup team. Right. But, like, Lauda was watching, he's like, that's me. That's just me. Yeah. You know, so... I think that Brule could do it, man. I honestly think this kid is incredibly talented. Yeah, he's in a new show coming out right now. I can't think what the name of it is, but it's one of the ones. It's like a probably TNT or I think it's a TNT show, maybe or FX. It's TNT or FX, I think. But uh, he's in a new show, and I, I saw him, and I was like, "Where do I know that guy from?" Yeah, he's, he, the problem is that like he's so good at transforming that yeah. you, you forget who he is. He's in one other movie I can think of too. It's not coming to mind right now, but uh, Civil War isn't he? Isn't he in Civil War? Oh, oh, he plays, well, he's Zemo, actually. Yeah, yeah, Zemo, exactly. He's Zemo and Thor, yeah. But that's the thing, is, like, you and I, it just took us that long to remember he was Zemo, and (laughs) we're covering his movie right now on our show, you know? So, um, is there anything we wanted to play right now? Games we want to throw in here? Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to get into uh, our sports movies, action movies. Um, (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, so... So, guys, you know, the conversation about fist pump moment brings us to this discussion of, like, 
you know, how many sports movies we've covered on the show now? So we've covered Rocky Four, covered Warrior, and we've covered this. I think those are the only three sports films we've ever covered on the show. Now, you definitely have your classic inspirational sports movies like your Hoosiers and your Rudy and your Remember the Titans. Right. Right? And then you have your, you have your inspirational, like, you know, true life ones, uh, you know, like Miracle. I just said Miracle, I think. Yeah. Um, the Alienist. The Alienist? This is a show on TNT. Okay, yep. And, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, like every one of them is driven by most of the four categories because, generally speaking, mm-hmm. the, the hero plays by his own rules. The hero and whoever the... I would say the villain in sports movies, they're usually not the smartest guy in the room. They are if they're, like, the villainous team or, like, your rival because they're equally good. Exactly. They have to be. Um, They are never driven by police, military, political, or mercenary. Usually not. Athletes. It's it's so tough because we talk about on this show so much that the best thing in action movies is not the action itself. It's the thing that happens in between the action. right. And, like, that's why sports movies feel the same way is because in between the action you feel you're just like oh what's gonna happen next and the rivalry builds and then like when things happen you fist pump which is like that is the definition of kind of like what makes a movie feel the way that it should on our show yeah i also think that like they they definitely lean on they lean on um those the the character development in sports movies a lot more than they do in most action movies you know a lot of action movies that those in-between scenes can be pretty cardboard and i think that in sports movies you do get a lot more of it so i wouldn't say that by and large sports movies are action movies but in the way that you can say action adventure yeah i think it's easy to say action sports and there's so much more at stake yeah i feel in sports movies like for instance in this movie i thought nikki lauda died for a minute I thought he was just going to die in that wreck. Yeah. And then I also, later on, was like, maybe Hunt is going to die in the final wreck. Yeah. Because, like, I knew that James Hunt was no longer alive. Right. I did know that in doing, like, I, I tried to do as little research as I could before watching it. Cause yeah. Because it's a true story. Right. But, like, you know, we talk about in action movies, you miss the stakes sometimes, and it's the best ones that, that have those stakes. And it's like, that's what makes this movie so great. That's what makes all sports movies great. Right. And, like, we all know what it feels like. To lose, right? We all know what it feels like to lose. We don't know what it feels like to have your wife murdered and go after the man that you... You know what I mean? So it's like it's more relatable as well. That's true. It's a really good point you make. It makes... It's easier to find those moments of meaning in a sports movie than it is because, like, having your daughter kidnapped in Serbia or whatever is, like, (laughs) not something most of us... And having a very special set of skills... Like, I don't have a special <laughs> set of skills. Never going to have a special you set of skills. have my daughter and I don't have the money, then I'm screwed. I probably wouldn't even know who to call. I wouldn't. I would have. Like, you called me. I would have thought it was a wrong number. I would have hung up. I'd probably call you. <laughs> Help us. Uh, yeah, so I think that they are action movies. I just think that, um, yeah, I think they're action movies. I totally think they are because they make you feel the way an action movie wants you to feel. Yeah, a good sports movie is an action movie. Cause, because, like... If it's a bad sports movie or it's like a slow sports movie, like it's super, super, super character driven, it's not really about the, like the sport. It doesn't have sports scenes, let's say. Right. Then it's a drama. It's really not a sports movie. Yeah. But like sports movies, the ones that like show athletes competing at the highest level, and that's a big part of the movie. Mm-hmm. They're action movies. Yeah, they Especially, totally are like, because sports is action. Warrior feels as much like an action movie as than any movie we've ever done. It's like it's got fight scenes. You have hero qualifiers. You got yeah. fist pump moments everything so that would be my uh richard loves southpaw he yeah wants us i know to people are talking about southpaw here. i'll give you credit richard i watched southpaw because you told me to i liked it not as much as this movie i don't like it yeah. <laughs> let's uh let's keep going through the show uh production development uh, we'll talk a little just just briefly about some of the, the notable things here um so hemsworth was actually filming avengers when he auditioned for this and he yep. was signed for the part on the spot 
Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, what's crazy, too, is that um, uh, Daniel Brühl auditioned and, and got a call two days later yeah. from Howard giving him the part. And, and like, Brühl went into the audition thinking that he had no chance he wasn't going to get it because yeah. he was too far away from Nicky Lauda. Yeah. Um, who he knows very well uh, in Germany. So I like that. I like that Howard knew exactly what, what he, he wanted, wanted. And he was yeah. like, you and you. And someone in here said, I don't remember who it was, uh, they were like, I think this is the most perfectly cast two leads in a movie ever. Um, I do think Hemsworth and Brule are pretty fucking fantastic in those roles. It's, yeah, it's crazy because even though this movie isn't like the greatest movie ever, you go and you even look at the picture they show at the end of the movie, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. These guys look just like that. Yeah, know? I think they did embellish their relationships a little bit. For um, sure. Let's talk about Peter Morgan, the writer here, and kind of what his history is. So Peter Morgan's a pretty impressive guy, guys. Um, Peter Morgan wrote the play, the original play for Frost Nixon. Uh, which then he also wrote the screenplay for Frost Nixon, which was nominated for Oscars. Mm-hmm. Believe, check this one out. He wrote both the screenplay for The Last King of Scotland and The Queen in 2006. And the actors that performed in those movies, respectively, each won Best Actor and Actress that year. Yeah. He wrote both screenplays. That's crazy. Crazy, right? So he's he's worked for a long time. He has a ton of big credits. Um I would say, you know, those ones I mentioned are some of the biggest. He's currently working on the Netflix series The Crown, um, but this is one of those guys who gets brought in to do the sort of biopic-ish type of movies. Uh, real real life um, nonfiction screenplays are definitely his strength. Uh, it's a similar production team that we have seen in a lot of cases, right. to, you know, like... For for most of these people, the the big names and the producers are going to be Brian Grazer and Ron Howard because they um, work on everything together. Yeah, so they're, that's like an interesting pair. So Howard's one of these guys, you know, going back to Happy Days. Like Howard's just been in Hollywood forever. He's a guy who's successful at the actor level, and then when he started directing movies in the eighties, um, he made some hits. You know, he he made Willow, which is a classic. <laughs> I love Willow. <laughs> um, in the nineties, he made you know some movies that really charted the people that re- did really well. You know, like Apollo thirteen. Mm-hmm. He also did Ransom. Yeah, um, yeah, Julie Roberts, Gibson, yeah, the whole the whole nine, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and then he got into like the modern day run of movies that he had. So he won the Oscar for Beautiful Mind. Um, you know, he a couple years later he did Frost Nixon. He did Frost Nixon. He yeah. did Cinderella Man. So that kind of movie is very much his mo. I I it, wish he had never gotten into the Da Vinci Code franchise. I really do too. It just seems so. It seems like a trap for everyone involved. Howard, it's, Spielberg, Hanks, everyone. The fact that they made three of them is so embarrassing. It's like, yeah. you wasted... You wasted. The first one was like, okay. It was like a decade of movie releases, too, yeah. right? It's like watching those watching those movies come out, looking at the people involved. It's like, you guys wasted three good Hanks performances and three movies that, that Ron Howard could have made in this time on these Da Vinci Code movies. It's like, yeah. it, it feels as like much... Like a bunch of dudes in their prime just wasted. And it's funny, because it's obviously based on like a, a very popular book, so in, in people's minds when they made it, they're like, we'll make three and it'll be great. It'll be Tom Hanks and and, uh, and Ron Howard. And it's like, you may as well have made three National Treasure movies, man. Like, that's what <laughs> it feels almost like. almost did. Um, the first one, of, one was good, right? I was just going to say, that is the, the ultimate comeback sequel that I'm expecting them to pull out all the stops and make, by the way. The third National Treasure? That's going to be the thing that Cage is like, this is a good idea. This is a I'm going to make, make a third film. It's going to save my career. <laughs> and it's money. going I need straight to, to video. <laughs> dinosaur egg. Uh, all right. So moving on to critical and box office. This is like, this is where it's, it's pretty evident of, of like, oh, wait, did we miss something or no? No, no, that's no, everything. No. Uh, critical and box office where it's kind of evident that Formula One just isn't that relevant in America, unfortunately. So Universal released this movie. It cost $38 million to make. It was released in September 20th of 2013. Uh, it grossed $26 million domestic for an additional 71 worldwide 
for a grand total of $90 million. Um, 26 domestic and 71 worldwide for a movie starring Thor is pretty crazy. It was number three at $10 million, closely behind Prisoners at 10. Behind Prisoners? Yeah. <laughs> at $10.8 million, which is hilarious. Hell of a week. Yeah. And uh, and then both of those were he just got destroyed by uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too at thirty four million. God, it's a sad world we live in. I know that's unbelievable. Prisoners so, is better than this movie. Prisoners is amazing. Yeah, I, I don't know if Prisoners was in its second week or not, but the fact that it only beat it out by point eight, um, it's interesting. So this movie got an eight point one on IMDb and it's ranked one hundred and ninety four. So uh, instead of talking about Rotten Tomatoes today, I want to talk to you about that ranking. Do yeah. you think that this movie should be in the top two fifty? Do you think this is one of the best top... Because the, I guess here's the real question is, do you think this is one of the best sports movies ever made? And if there are better ones, like... Because I think there needs to at least be one or two in the top 250, yeah. and Warriors got to have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> if you made a list of the of the, the 15 best sports movies ever made, this would be on that list, I'm pretty certain. Maybe even the 10. Um, I think... What? No, no, go ahead. I think what we are disregarding when we say that is like... You look at so you have you have like movies in our time that have been classics like remember the Titans is a great example of mm-hmm. one that's like a, just a loved by all kind of movie, and you have movies like Hoosiers and Rudy and Rudy and you go back and you have movies like Slapshot and the original Longest Yard and movies like that and and there's and a you, lot there's like you know any given Sunday remember the Titans yeah. for love of the game like there's so many there's the Natural yeah. there's Bull Durham. They're like so that's the thing it's Field of Dreams there's a ton of sports movies I, I think it's hard to say that Invariably Rush is a top 10 I think it's probably top 15 because I think a lot of those older ones are aged out yeah. Um, but yeah I don't think it's the 194th best movie of all time but I would take I think I would take aim at 25 of the movies on that list before I take aim at this one. That's fair. Like, yeah. I think the list is absurd. I think that I think 60% of that list is accurate in terms of movies that I think should be in that conversation. And I think 40% of it is just like, get this out of here and give this movie 10 years to age. Like, Wonder Woman is a great movie. It's not one of the 250 best movies ever made. I don't know. Blade Runner 2049, great movie. Not one of the 250 best movies ever made. Yeah, like, it's so tough. Like, we got to give things time, which is why Warrior has proven it is one of the greatest movies <laughs> I ever believe made. Warrior has a more legitimate shot than those movies, not because I think it's necessarily a better movie, but because time has shown that a movie that was missed by everyone in the theaters that no one wanted to watch... Even Richard Eric Jarvey agrees that you can't beat Warrior with Rush. Yeah, well, <laughs> because I think what's interesting about that is it's the same reason you have with this movie... Over time, as time passes and this movie grows and people talk about it in a different light, that's what makes it notable. Mm-hmm. Ask me in five years if people well, will still be talking about 2049 or if that movie is just going to like kind of come and go. And it's like, of course, Warrior is more entertaining. It's not true. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's a strong point. It's it's like two brothers. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I I don't know, man. Let's, we'll just leave it at that. Let's get into favorite line and, and, uh, and AMA question here. Yep. Uh, we're a little short on time today, guys. I do have to apologize to everybody. I uh, have to apologize. Yeah, well, we got a little <laughs> bit of a late start, and, and we're sandwiched between a couple things. So this will be a slightly shorter episode than normal, but just by a couple minutes. Let's get into favorite line. Yes. Um, so I love there, there, this movie. Like, I just want to say... Peter Morgan wrote such a great script. He is, yeah, he's the gem of this movie. Him and Daniel Brühl for sure. Yeah, like this movie really has some wonderful moments, and some of some of the lines are just so great. Like Richard, I remember you saying, um, "I love talking to our fans like they're here." I know, like they're so hanging good. out. Yeah, um, I, I, um, I love the line. I, you you quoted this once, I think, and you said it's it's the line. 
a wise man learns more from his enemies than a fool does from his friends. Yeah. That's a great that's a line. a really good line. Yeah, that's a great one. I also love the Olivia Wilde line, right, when she says, like, you're not horrible. You're just at the place in your life that you are at right now. Yeah. Which is, like, great, because I think he's, like, late 20s, I feel like. I feel like James Hunt's probably supposed to be, like, 28, 26, something yeah, or like, like that. Yeah, or, like, 30. You know and what I mean? And he's just, like... He's just like a, an adrenaline junkie. Like, he just wants to... That's where he's at in his life. That's what's important to him at that moment. And I love that line. It's acknowledging, like, exactly what people go through. That's, like, a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I... That's what's so great about the writing, is there's so many of those lines that feel like that. And so I'm going to just go over a, th- a few really quick, which was uh, the one that I said earlier, which was, I wish I just wish I married someone who was half as impressive on the inside as they are on the outside. Great line, yep. Uh, and then the other one is the, the hero qualifier that we talked about. Right. Like, nine days out of ten, you'll be pulling your hair out. But on that tenth day, he'll be unbeatable, and you wish you had him on your team. Love yep. that. Yeah, um, that's great. But it, my favorite is the common, is the... Uh, is a, the conversation between him and his wife, uh, between Nikki Lauda and his wife. At their honeymoon. At their honeymoon, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's like, happiness is the enemy. It weakens you. Suddenly puts a doubt in your mind. Gives you something to lose. Yeah. And she's like, when you call happiness an enemy, then you're too late. You've already lost. Yeah. And it was just, it's just like there's there, there's lines like that that are just gems in there. And you're like, wow, well, this is a really, really well-written movie. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great moments in this movie where somebody says something, you're like, that's probably exactly what they would say in the moment. Like, I love when Nikki early on says something to, to Hunt, and he's like... He's like, people like you because you're a party guy. Yeah. Because you, you drink and <laughs> whatever. He's like, you have fun. You, you party. You stay out late with the girls. And he's like, he looks at him. He's like, now try saying that to me and tell me you're not jealous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, That's yes. so good. I also love the line at the very end when he says you're the, uh, that James Hunt was the only man that Nicky yes. was ever jealous of. Uh, yeah. And he's like, I ever respect him. Of, yeah. 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 And I didn't make reference to this yet, but um, I do love, and this was almost my fist pump moment. I love at the end when, you know, you hear Brule's voice and they're showing and they're showing all the you know the various moments and and they show this great picture of the two of them in real life kind of off to the side of the track they're kind of leaned in talking to each other and i loved that moment because it was like you never saw that in the movie and they waited to show it to you until after when he had kind of acknowledged that they were rivals and almost friends and i thought that was such a special moment because it really showed you the the sort of like we're the two guys out here so we can confer even though we kind of hate each other a little bit we we trust each other enough to kind of yeah. confer off to the side. It's like here. those moments when you see the greats in like basketball talking to yeah. each other, you know, and Definitely. you're like, I want to kill you, but let's talk real quick. Um, last thing to do, really quickly, guys, <clears throat> uh, before we wrap up here, is to answer a couple AMA questions. Uh, this is just a shoot out of a cannon. Michael Campbell asked, "What's better, rush the band or rush the film?" Uh, I mean, rush rush the band. Neil Peart, greatest <laughs> drummer of all time, man. Question two, Arena Muka asks, uh, how would you explain the movie being completely overlooked by the Academy? It checks off every point at the, at, as an Oscar darling. Well, it brings to mind the conversation we were going to have, but we aren't going to today, of is there a movie every year that fits that bill of sort of an Oscar movie that gets zero nominations? The best non, you know, so Heat is a good example of that, or The Shining. And yeah, this movie should have 100% gotten a nomination for either, like, uh, screenplay or um, sound editing or supporting actor. Yeah, and I looked at all... Can I chime in about the, the nominations or how the lack thereof nominations? Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, we, we covered this movie on our other show on this network, uh, Anatomy of a Movie, but this movie was released in September, which is, like, generally a dumping ground for yeah, films. It's true. at the end of the summer, but it's not really at the beginning of the Oscar season yet. It's near the time of the year where, like, no one's really going to the movies, and, and it wasn't around a holiday. Like, it was just not at a good time of the year to release it. 
yeah, it's like pretty much when American Made came out. It's like those movies. Like it's a, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a dump. I agree. And and uh, you know, I think to correctly answer the question, two things. Um, number one, I looked up all of the performances in 2013 that were nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting. Because I think Daniel Bruhl is the most obvious. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for this. Yeah. Um, he wasn't going to win either category. They submitted him as a supporting, not as a lead, because the leads were so strong that year. It's possible he would have come up instead of uh, Bark. Is it Barkab Abdi for the from Captain Phillips? Oh yeah. Because yeah, he was yeah. kind of a first timer. But, but that I think, movie was so massive because of it of its. And he was great, and he was kind of also like came out of nowhere that actor, and so I I didn't ever feel when I was looking at that list like Daniel Bruhl was just leaps and bounds better than anyone on the list. Right. And so I think that's that's tough. But yeah, to answer your question specifically. I think it's because it was directed by the wrong person. I think I think it's a gift and a curse when you put someone like Ron Howard behind your movie. Because when Ron Howard directs your movie, it better be incredible. It's just got to feel the way they want a Ron Howard movie to feel. And yeah. if this movie doesn't hit in the right way, everybody... The Academy's too smart. They're just going to look and they're just going to say, we don't want to credit this movie. They, you, you'll You've do got enough, one, Ron. Yeah. You'll do another one next year. Yeah. You know, I mean, he and Imagine Entertainment, they've been nominated for 44 Oscars. So it's not exactly like they, uh, they don't hit home runs very often. So... Uh, um, Marissa yeah. Serafini in the booth, everybody. Marissa, everyone could hear you today, which it was, was great. They You're... were saying that, they, that it's the first time they could hear you in like 100 episodes, so we're yeah. glad that we can hear you well. Let's see if we can work on that for the next 100. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that Greengrass did not direct this, though, because yeah. he was originally supposed to do it. I yeah. don't think he would have been good. No, over Howard. Been even more procedural and way less inspirational. Um, all right, there are three action movie categories totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. I think we've explained them enough times, and this movie pretty clearly fits into one category. Yeah, I think without even having to explain them or ever seeing the show. This movie is completely legitimate. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally legit. Yep. Um, so there's only one last thing left to do on the show this week before we wrap, and that's called The, the Pitch. Wow. I reaching for my phone there. You guys didn't see that coming, did you? Can no, we do the just... Mask of Zorro? God damn it. <laughs> We're not going to just do another Martin Campbell movie in three times in four weeks. <laughs> People are angry. I'm angry. Everyone's angry. We might do Sudden Death. Um, we, we have some movies we're looking at. We're considering. We have great options out there. I think this is a good week for a poll. I think this will be a good week to put out four options for I'm you gonna guys. I'm going to put out four Mask of the Mask of Zorros. Zorros. The Mask of <laughs> Zorros. Exactly. Four <laughs> options. Uh, we're going to put up some options for you guys. So one last time, go ahead and follow along in the Facebook fan group. We'll be putting up a poll there and on Twitter at AMA Podcast. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy. And uh, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you guys so much for being such longtime supporters of the show, for keeping this going for so long. And ultimately, guys, for suggesting we do a great movie. Yeah. Um, somebody on the Facebook page did ask, what kind of influence do you guys have on the choices we make? Enormous influence. Yeah, we've done many movies that you guys have suggested, and uh, we will continue to do them because you guys are the reason we do this show. That's literally the reason we're back every week. Thanks for yeah. listening. Thanks for watching, guys. Same time, same place next week. Have a good one. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.